Hey guys, welcome back to Living Cafe Podcast. Today we are covering the origin of pro wrestling. This is Pro Wrestling Genesis. Alright guys, let's dive on in here. This is the genesis of pro wrestling. And then, you know, growing up as a wrestling fan, I was always told that pro wrestling started in America. It started in the traveling circus. But upon researching and digging into this, I found out there's a little bit of truth to that. And uh, there's a lot more than just circuses in America starting pro wrestling. Think about it. Man has wrestled since the cavemen. Maybe they were having a match over a fish or over over a saber-toothed tiger leg or the least hairiest woman. Uh, regardless, wrestling has been around since forever. To pinpoint an exact date is damn near impossible, but we're going to nail it down to pretty much uh, what we think is the genesis of pro wrestling. Now let's start with, let's call this part one of the episode. Like I said, it dates back to caveman age, so nobody really knows when pro wrestling started, but the origins of wrestling can be traced back 15,000 years through caveman drawings. Physical evidence that there was wrestling in the caveman times. Babylonian and Egyptian relics show wrestlers using moves that we see today. Ancient Romans also adopted wrestling. Many countries also included wrestling uh, in training for their soldiers. And we're going to get into that. Primarily, we're going to talk about a soldier in Napoleon's army who may have jump-started wrestling as we know it today. Even going to the Middle Ages. Wrestling maintained... Wrestling remained popular uh, throughout France, Japan, England... And then soon, wrestling became popular all over the world. And of course, from time to time, changes were made in wrestling and showmanship and roles and holds. And we're going to get into all of this. So let's start out with part one. We've established how far back wrestling can be traced. But professional wrestling is a popular form of entertainment today in you know Australia, North America, Latin America, Europe, Japan... And every country has their own style and uh, traditions. Now, from what I believe started pro wrestling, not just wrestling, but pro wrestling, the, the beginning of pro wrestling to me started with a tradition of combining wrestling and showmanship in the 1830s in France. When showmen presented wrestling under names uh, like Edward the Steelweeder, Gustav the Bone Wrecker, and let's not forget Bonnet, the Ox of the Low Alps. All these people would challenge members of the audience to take them down. If they could take them down, they would get like 500 francs. So this to me is when you first see showmanship and wrestling together. So let's jump into like uh, part two. In 1848, a French soldier in Napoleon's army named Jean Expressant, I probably butchered it. I actually tried to get 
a friend of mine who speaks French uh, to help me say it correctly. Uh, that's about the best as I could get it. But he formed this first modern wrestler's circus and established a rule not to execute holds below the waist, a style he named flat hand wrestling. Now, it's thought that Greco-Roman wrestling is a combination of several local European wrestling styles. And this new style soon spread to the rest of Europe. The Hungarian Empire, Italy, Denmark, Russia, um, and that it spread under the name of Greco-Roman wrestling. Classic wrestling, or they would sometimes call it French wrestling. Now, the history of this art is often misunderstood because the name suggests origins of like ancient Greece and Rome. But that's not the case. The wrestling of that age was actually more similar to freestyle wrestling than the style which wears the name of Greco-Roman. In Napoleon's army, Jean would have been ideally placed to collect grappling knowledge as Napoleon marched his troops all over Europe. Italian wrestler... Bacello Bartelli is the one who coined the phrase Greco-Roman wrestling. Now, this was an attempt to connect the wrestling to ancient values and, well, competition. It became so popular that it was included in the first modern Olympics in 1896. And it's been in every Olympic Games since the 1900 Paris Games, I believe. So by the end of the 19th century, this modern Greco-Roman wrestling style went on to become the most fashionable sport in Europe. And in 1898, the Frenchman Paul Pons, the Colossus, became the first professional world champion. Now, this was summarized under the term amateur wrestling by the beginning of the modern Olympics in 1896. So we have this Greco-Roman style wrestling. We know that the rule is to not execute any holds below the waist. It was uh, originally called flat hand wrestling. It was established by a soldier in Napoleon's army. The name was later changed to Greco-Roman wrestling by Vassello Bartelli because he wanted to kind of somewhat tie it to ancient times, basically just for competition reasons. And now it's in the Olympic Games. We have a professional world champion coined under the term amateur wrestling now amateur wrestling as we know it as we know it today we think of names like Brock Lesnar Kurt Angle who won the Olympics with a broken freaking neck Shelton Benjamin uh, Dolph Ziggler that's just to name a few that have gone from this Greco-Roman wrestling this amateur wrestling background who have flourished in today's professional wrestling let's go ahead and call this let's jump to part three the modern style of professional wrestling. This was popularized by the United States and the United Kingdom during the late 19th century. So if you're wondering in your head, like, okay, when was the 19th century? Because I know some of this stuff can be confusing. January 1st of 1801 to 1900. So that's the 19th century. The professional wrestling popularized, popularized in the United States and the United Kingdom during the 19th century is called catch-as-catch-can wrestling. Originally thought of as this unorthodox, more lax in style catch wrestling, this catch wrestling differs from Greco-Roman is in its allowed grapples. Greco-Roman strictly prohibits grappling below the waist. Well, 
Catch wrestling allows holds above and below the waist, including leg grips. So basically, catch can wrestling is a classic hybrid grappling style, um, more of a combat sports style. It was developed by J.G. Chambers. Um, if you're wondering, this was in Britain in, I think, 1870, and it was popularized by wrestlers of traveling fun fairs. So here we go. We're talking about, again, circus fairs, and they would develop their own submission holds and hooks. Both catch wrestling and Greco-Roman were popular and fully competitive. Um, they were both com fully competitive amateur and professional sports. But from the late 19th century onwards, a subsection of catch wrestling changed slowly into the choreographed sport entertainment known as professional wrestling. So we're getting towards the end of the 19th century. Catch wrestling has taken on. Uh, people who love Greco-Roman are adopting catch wrestling. They're blending the two. And now towards the end of the 19th century, they're choreographing a little bit of their act. I guess at this point you can call it an act. If they're choreographing it, it's going from full contact combat sport to more showmanship. Now professional wrestling was recognized uh, as much for its theatrical antics and entertainment as pure wrestling ability. So they had this pure wrestling ability but they wanted to throw in this theatric antics. And I think basically at this time they were, and you'll see it again in the future, they had to spice up this. They had to spice it up. People knew that people have already become, they've seen it. So everything has to evolve and has to change in order to keep spectators coming. But I think right here is where, towards the end of the 19th century, we're starting to see the seeds of what would become pro wrestling that we know today. Sorry about that, guys. Had to open up a nice cold pop. I usually pause for that, but uh, we call it pop here. I don't know if you guys call it pop, soda. Email me. Let me know. Let me know what you guys call it, wherever you're listening from. Now, at the turn of the 20th century, wrestling was introduced to the public as part of a variety act to spice up limited action involved in the bodybuilding strongman attractions. So they would have these strongman attractions, and during, I guess you would call... Um, an intermediate time um, when people would go take a break or whatever, go get something to eat, they would put on these wrestling shows. This in turn would bring strong men into the wrestling world. Kind of like how you see MMA people coming into the wrestling world now, like the Ken Shamrocks, again, the Brock Lesnar's, um, you know, and then you want to talk about strong men coming into the wrestling business. Let's not forget Nathan Jones. If you want to learn a little bit of something about Nathan Jones, go back and listen to our Lemon Chronicles about Nathan Jones. He himself was a great story to tell. Now, one of its earliest stars was a Cornish American ex-miner named Jack Carkey. Now, Jack would challenge audience members to last 10 minutes with him. So now we're kind of going back to what we saw in the early 1800s in France when they would say, hey, if you can take us down, you get 500 francs or whatever it was. Now we have Jack over here in the 20th century at these shows saying, hey, any audience member, can you last 10 minutes with me? Could you imagine the lawsuits today if a man tried to say, yeah, I can try to last 10 minutes with you, gets knocked on his ass, immediately would sue. Insane what they could do back then. Part four, guys. 
The development of wrestling within the UK brought legitimate Greco-Roman grappler George Heckenschmidt to the country. Heckenschmidt lived between 1877 and 1968, so he did live long enough to see professional wrestling as we know it today. We're going to talk a lot about him. He was an early 20th century Austrian strongman, professional wrestler, um, author, sports philosopher. Uh, he's actually recognized as professional wrestling first world heavyweight champion. Now you are probably saying, well, I heard you say heavyweight champion earlier. Well, we were talking about amateur style wrestling that the Olympics adopted. This is the first recognized world's heavyweight champion in pro wrestling. And I'm going to tell you how he became that here in a bit. He's also believed to be the creator of the uh, bear hug in professional wrestling. He's also known as the person who popularized the hack squat. What's a hack squat? Well, it's a deadlift with the arms behind the body. Now, if you've seen this man, his physique was insane. He was also known for his impressive strength, fitness, and flexibility. And later in his life, he wrote many books on a... Uh, physical culture, training, and philosophy. He would quickly associate himself with promoter and entrepreneur Charles B. Cotron. Now, Cotron took Heckenschmidt under his wing and booked him into a match in which he defeated another top wrestler in Tom Cannon for the European Greco-Roman title. Now, at this time, you see promoters booking legitimate wrestling matches. You have titles you have showmanship this gave george a credible claim to the world title now at the time there wasn't a world title but this claim was submitted in 1905 when he then beat american heavyweight champion tom jenkins in the united states so he's beaten tom cannon for the european greco title now he's beaten tom jenkins in the united states for the american heavyweight championship now, Tom Jenkins, when I say Tom Jenkins, that might be ringing a little bell like, hey, I've heard that guy's name to some wrestling fans. Uh, Jenkins lived from 1872 to 1957, and he was an American catch wrestler who held the American Heavyweight Championship three times around the turn of the 20th century. He later taught at the United States Military Academy at West Point from 1905 to 1942, and he also taught from 1912 to 1943 wrestling and boxing in the New York Military Academy at Cornwall and uh, Hudson, New York. So Tom Jenkins, uh, no pushover. So again, George has won the Euro and U.S. titles, which gave him claim and is now recognized as the first world champion. He held this title for 1,065 days before losing it to Frank Gotch. Now we're getting into more recognized names of professional wrestling, aren't we? Some people know who Frank Gotch was. They know that he held the title for five years until April 1st, 1913, and he was the sixth longest reigning world heavyweight champion in history behind who? Bruno Sammartino, Jim Londis, Lou Thez, Vern Gagne, all who held the world heavyweight championship for over seven years. And let's not forget Bob Backlund, who held his for nearly six years. This is the same recognized first world heavyweight championship, and it all goes back to George Heckenschmidt in 1905. And I would imagine around the time of being world's champion, George took a series of bookings in uh, Manchester 
for I think they were saying like 150 pound or something like that. Whatever it, it accumulated to like 212 dollars. That was impressive back then. But wrestling was a big deal in the turn of the 20th century. I mean, take a look at the French angel Maurice Tillet. Go back and listen to our episode on that. These guys were a big deal. They were superstars. Now, I call this part five entertainment rather than sport. Now, noting that George Heckenschmidt's legitimately dominant style of wrestling threatened to kill crowd interest. So, Cotron persuaded George to learn showmanship from Cannon and wrestle many of his matches for entertainment rather than sport. Again, we're seeing a lot of that today. You have to keep the crowd interested. This kind of displayed the future elements of sports entertainment as we know it today. Numerous big names, both beloved babyface and hated heels, came and went during the early inception of wrestling within the UK, with many like George leaving for the United States. The resulting loss of big-name stars sent the business into decline before the outbreak of World War I in 1914 halted it completely. It seems like here we are, we're talking again about wrestling and World War, um, just wars in general affecting wrestling and sharing the same timeline. This is a second, second or third time we've talked about a wrestler or wrestling's background and this popping up. So again, the World Heavyweight Championship was the first recognized professional world heavyweight championship created in 1905 to identify the best catch-as-catch-can wrestlers in the world. It was also the first wrestling champion known to have a physical representation of the belt. So this is actually also not not only the first recognized world's heavyweight championship, but it's the first championship known to have an actual physical representation, an actual physical title belt. Now, wrestling's popularity experienced a dramatic tailspin uh, in 1915 to 1920, becoming distanced from the American public because of widespread doubt. Basically, people were doubting the legitimacy and status as a competitive sport. So this is where the word worked comes into play. People start using the word worked. And we all know that worked means purely performative choreographed wrestling which is admittedly faked or wink-wink kayfabe from competitive sports. And this, again, begins in the 1920s. People were starting to say, I don't know if this is real. And it hits the business. And wrestlers during this time, the 1915 into the 20s, recount it as largely faked by the 1880s. So if you're asking wrestlers the truth in 1915 to 1920, they're saying, Yeah, this was largely choreographed by the 1880s. So they had, you know, 30, 40 years before people caught on to what was going on. But they are admittingly saying, hey, yeah, this, you know, we've we've been working you guys for a while. Part six, the Gold Dust Trio. This is this is a really interesting story. Now, in response to the downside, the decline of wrestling because of people judging its legitimacy Three professional wrestlers, Ed Lewis, Billy Sandow, and Tutmont, joined to form their own promotion in the 1920s. And this was to modify their in-ring product to attract fans. The three were referred to as the Gold Dust Trio. And this was due to their financial success. These were three financially successful men. I mean, that's a badass name, even for this era, the Gold Dust Trio. 
This promotion was the first to use time limit matches. Um, they implemented flashy new holds and they started using signature moves, finishers, whatever you want to call them. And they also popularized tag team wrestling, which needs work in today's wrestling, right? I mean, it's almost like they've given up on tag team wrestling, which makes me sick because I, I, I really enjoy tag team wrestling. But it seems like as of late, you know, WWE could, couldn't give a shit less about it. They started introducing new tactics, such as distracting the referee to make the matches more exciting. Rather than paying traveling wrestlers to perform on certain dates and combining wrestlers in matchups when they were available, they decided to keep wrestlers for months and years at a time, allowing long-term angles and feuds to develop. So now, the Dust Trio is adding flash to wrestling. They're giving you signature maneuvers. They're giving you... Uh, tag team wrestling they're letting you see wrestlers for more than just once or twice here and there they're keeping wrestlers for weeks sometimes years to play out actual storylines so they're not just having this guy versus this guy you know the american versus the brit or anything like that they're just saying hey listen we're going to tell stories in the ring and allow long-term angles and feuds to develop so could we give the gold dust trio credit for the wrestling that we have today? Hell yeah, we could. I mean, these guys started storytelling in wrestling. They came up with the concept of flashy moves, keeping wrestlers, you know, engaging fans in a story to care about. I say, hell yeah, we could definitely give them credit for the wrestling we have today. Now, by the late 20s, the success of the more worked aspects of professional wrestling that was happening in America, like the gimmicky submission holds and the storytelling this was now introduced to british wrestling so now amateur wrestler sir oakley got together with fellow grappler henry eislinger to launch one of the first promotions in the uk to employ the new style of wrestling which was coined all-in wrestling does cody rhodes and the young bucks have some explaining to do could they have got some inspiration from oakley and eislinger i honestly doubt it the great demand for wrestling meant that there weren't enough skilled amateurs to go around, and many promoters switched to more violent styles using weapons and chair shots as part of the act. And before long, uh, women wrestlers in mud-filled rings also became commonplace. Then there hit a roadblock. In the late 1930s, the London County Council banned professional wrestling. Now this left the business in rough shape just before World War II. Now, in this series, we're covering the world of pro wrestling in its order. Next week, on Chapter 2 of this, we discuss Australia. Professional wrestling in Australia first gained distinction in the early 20th century. And I'll break it all down when Japan, Russia, Mexico, the UK, and we'll get back to the good old US of A, where we will eventually see territories, buyouts, scandals, running promotions against one another, we'll really start to see how promotions battle each other for dominancy. All that and more on the next episode of Living Cafe Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed yourself. My name is Jordan. I hope I broke down the genesis of wrestling for you and made it easy to understand. And I hope you go back and 
you write down some of these guys' names and research them a little bit because they paved the way and their stories are really interesting. All right, guys, this has been Living Cafe Podcast. Ring the bell.